What's up, everybody? This is Austin. And Dominique. Welcome to Right Tomatoes, where we give our unsolicited opinion on TV shows and, and movies. Okay, welcome to this episode of Right Tomatoes. And today we have Dr. King with us, not Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> <laughs> But Dr. King with us talking about the movie Fifth Element. So we want to thank you for coming up or coming on our show. Very excited to discuss this movie. Um, so just some background for the listeners. Apparently, years ago, I wrote a comment to Daryl on Facebook about this movie and how how interesting and intriguing and how much I like the movie. And I still came up in your Facebook memories. Yes, it came up in my Facebook memories. I think it was nine years ago. I suggested that you watch the movie because you had never seen it. And then once you finally watched it, you commented that you enjoyed it. So then it popped up uh, a few a few days ago. And I was like, oh, it's time to watch it again. Yeah. So he was like, watch it again. And I was like, oh, you know what? As a matter of fact, I will. And I was like, would you like to join us on the podcast? So here we are. So before we dive um, into the questions, I want to ask you, Dr. King, why did you recommend that she watch it um, nine years ago? Do you remember why? Yes, because that is one of the best movies that has been made in terms of a movie that stood the test of time. And mm -hmm. I think she re was put something on Facebook saying any movie recommendations. And I think I recommended the fifth element because it was great science fiction and it just had all the elements of a great movie. Mm hmm. I say it had all five elements of a good movie. <laughs> good catch. <laughs> okay, so for our listeners, Dr. King, can you share a synopsis of the film and what the film is about? Okay, the film is about, it's a futuristic film. It takes place in the year, I believe it's 2214. It originally starts in 1914. But then it's about aliens who already came down to Earth and they had hidden some elements, uh, these, these four stones on Earth, and they projected that there would be a, uh, apocalypse if these stones aren't protected. So they hit them on Earth in 1914, but then, uh, aliens were coming to get them. So they, uh, sealed up a, a tomb there and then the movie jumps into the future. And it shows that uh, the stones are being hunted by uh, evil forces from the future. So Bruce Willis, his character, and uh, he meets the actual fifth element, who's actually a woman. She's a supreme being. So she was regenerated from a plane, uh, a spaceship crash, and he has to protect her. And they have to go to uh, re retrieve the stones and battle the bad guys. So they retrieve, retrieve the stones and all is well. Okay, great synopsis. So earlier you mentioned that this is one of the movies that stood the test of time. So can you elaborate more about why this movie appeals to you and like what you enjoy about it so much? And like why can you make such a grandiose statements about the movie? Okay, I believe the movie came out in 1997. Uh, 
Okay. So in 1997, special effects weren't that great, but this movie had some advanced special effects. The yeah. costumes were very good. And one of the up and coming stars was uh, Chris Tucker. So Chris Tucker added an element of comedy to the movie. You had great costumes, great visual colors. You had some aliens that we had never seen before and some uh, visual effects that we'd never seen before. So combined with that, the storyline moved pretty fast and it just kept you entertained all throughout. So again, with costuming, colors, aliens, technology, all those elements really made the movie uh stand the test of time. And of course, at the time, we had Bruce Bruce Willis, who was a superhero type figure coming off of his great work with Die Hard. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'll say, yeah, I agree uh, 100% with that because I remember watching it as a kid and um, I really didn't understand what was going on in the movie. But when I rewatched it the other day, um, I, I thought about the technology and everything and just how advanced and before uh, it's time the graphic effects were uh, for the movie and everything. And so it's funny because I, uh, I said I was like back in 97, this is probably how we thought the future would look like with the flying cars. But I thought it was funny because the cars still had an old school body. But it was a futuristic, they were futuristic cars because they flew and everything. So I agree 100% with the effects of it. Like it didn't look cheesy or corny or cheap like most um, special effects of that time did. Exactly, exactly. And you're right. It does look like what we imagined the future would be like. And then we're almost there with the flying cars, by the way. So <laughs> Yeah, true. We got, we got Tesla self-driving right now, so. And then another uh, interesting character in the movie was uh, Mila Djokovic. She went on to be famous for her series, and it's escaping me right now. Oh, um, nope. Resident Evil. Resident Evil, yes. So she has a number of great uh, follow-up movies with that in that series. So, But that was her breakout role in The Fifth Element, too. Yeah, I think that movie, Resident Evil, that series went from the early thousands until like 2016. So she had a good run with that movie. Oh, yes. And also what was helping the movie stand the test of time is because you'll notice we had our first black president in that movie. Yes. yes. Tiny Lister. Tiny Lister, uh, you know, the, the, the guy from uh, the Friday movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Debo. Yep, Debo. Debo. Yeah, Debo. So uh, he played a... a Different character, very sophisticated president and a great representation. So, again, ahead of his time. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny that you uh, mentioned Friday because was that kind of the kickoff of he and Chris Tucker's relationship? I believe it. I'm not sure if, if uh, Friday was out before that, though, honestly. Oh, okay. But, yeah, they have a great partnership in, in those movies. Yeah, but I can't rem- recall if, which one came first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that you brought up um, the black president because one of the things that we (laughs) were thinking about, and it could just be like everything that's happened in the world and it's just top of mind, but when they're talking about the fifth element being like the perfect human, you know, and the fact that she's like white with blue eyes, it was just like, oh, okay. So (laughs) it was nice to see that they at least had a black president. That was like really awesome that they, you know, may have given that some consideration. 
Yes. And I thought about that too when I rewatched the movie. I'm like, hmm, the perfect being, this white woman with blue eyes. Hmm, I'm not sure. Let's look at the future. <laughs> right. And and another thing, since we're on that topic, do you remember um when the aliens brought back the uh box of empty empty stones to uh that evil guy that was uh trying to capture him? And uh one of the aliens that came back disguised as a black man. And the evil and the uh, I guess the evil person, he says something along the lines of like that costume is ugly. You should take it off. Go back to like how you are. And he like changed into this ugly alien. So even that was interesting too. how he just kind of said like, hey, that black face is ugly. Don't do it. Turn back into an alien. So. Yeah, yeah, he did. However, his his original sidekick was a black man. So, yeah, yeah. And it so, could have uh, been more so that he was a human. Instead yeah. of the again that he didn't like. Right, yeah. And, and looking at it from the lens of, like, how heightened racial things are, like, in today's society, meaning, like, 2021, I think that made me, like, overly sensitive to that part as well, so. Oh, yeah. I mean, it definitely stood out as mm-hmm. one of the pieces, but I think it was also uh, a message about just be true to yourself because he was originally an alien. So be true to yourself is probably the message he was getting at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's actually a really great segue to our next question. So when we think about like movies having themes such as like <clears throat> love perseveres all and, you know, keep on trying and things like that. What do you think was the overall theme for Fifth Element? That I think the overall theme was love does conquer all because mm-hmm. I think the whole notion is that as she, as the main character reflected on why should she care about saving the earth? One of the things is like you all are, the theme was you all are not worth saving because all you do is destroy things mm-hmm. with war and violence and everything. And then at the uh, culmination of the end of the movie, Bruce Willis said, we're worth saving because it's about love. And that was the theme. So love conquers all. <laughs> yeah, I would say uh, I, was, I would say a theme for me. In addition to that, is um, it's important that we uphold the integrity of our past and not kind of, I guess, pawn it off as a commodity um, because it, it definitely does affect where we are now, right? Um, we look at we look at the let's take the African American History Museum for example in uh, D.C. the Smithsonian. Uh, we go back and look at that stuff and appreciate our past. You know, some of that stuff dates back hundreds of years. When you look at um, the shipwrecks from the Atlanta slave trade and everything, so I, I think it talks. You know, it talks on the importance of just preserving our history, remembering uh, why it's important, and just not you know, profiting off of our history, but actually appreciate it, preserve it, and uphold the integrity that it has. Yes, definitely. And then you can see that from the link of Egypt, when when they were uh, first in Egypt back in 1914, and they were looking at the artifacts and the artifacts on the wall and giving the message. And the guy said, I will... uh, translate this message to the future so that when it happens 3,000 years later, the same message was trans uh, transmitted and it transcended time about saving the earth and love and all that good stuff as well. Yeah, absolutely. And since you bring that up, I have a question for you because you, you seem like an expert on this movie. The, um, the person at the start of the movie in 1914 that grabbed the key once that, uh, robot's hand got closed in the cave 
was that guy the same um, priest that uh, existed 200, 300 years later that was kind of helping um, helping Bruce Willis and uh, Lilu? No, it was not. Okay. He's, it wasn't. He just, he told the story over and over. Well, he told the story and other priests told the story and it just kept moving through time. Mm-hmm. But no, it wasn't the same guy. Okay, and then so that key that he had kept getting passed from priest to priest uh, through time. Yes, definitely. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, and I would say like similarly to what you all said, I think the other theme is just that like good will always prevail as well. Like that classic in the battle of good versus evil, the good will always win. Mm-hmm. So this movie obviously um, is loved by you <laughs> and many <laughs> others for many reasons, but what is something that you didn't care for? So you watched the movie again and you're like, hmm, I didn't enjoy that part. Huh. Well, I I would have to wonder what, what didn't I enjoy about that movie? <laughs> I, th- <laughs> I think it went at toward the end when they finally figured out how to make the stones work. I think they kind of dragged that part out a little bit. <laughs> Especially how long it took them to put the lighter on the stone. I'm like, we if you don't put that, that match too. on there before it goes out, <laughs> I'm like, like, this is your last match and you're taking that long? <laughs> I'm like, anybody exactly. knows those strike matches goes out as soon as you strike them. <laughs> and I, yeah, I think they, they stretched that out. Plus, also, if we're, if we're looking at it in the context of today's time, Chris Tucker's character was... Uh, multi-dimensional, and yeah. uh, I think if we look at his character now today, it was offensive on a few different levels. <laughs> um, in terms of he kind of walked this line of just being kind of stereotypical, loud black man, um, oversexed in terms of the way he was interacting with the ladies, and just just a character, a, a scaredy cat type of character. So, mm-hmm. but, but I think if if we updated the movie, we would do something with changing that character. So I think if I had to say that was one area, I would say to be modernized. Oh, for sure. I definitely think if that movie were to launch today, like about Rudy Rod's character or Chris Tucker's character would have definitely uh, caused some concern for the general public, (laughs) especially because although he was not like in a dress, he was mm-hmm. still in very feminine clothing. Um, and, mm-hmm. I, you know, that's been a popular conversation in the media. Like, do all black comedians have to wear a dress to be funny or to be successful? Like, people have been talking about that quite a bit. But, yeah, his uh, character was depicted in a quite interesting <laughs> way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. However, I think that particular element might be more accepted today and given today's times in terms of the the uh, recognition of the pride movement and so on there as well. So I think that that particular aspect might be elevated. However, his role as uh, representing the African-American community would be more questioned, in my opinion. I agree. But I do think um, him showing up the way that he did and also being so afraid all the time, I mm-hmm. think would be so stereotypical and like probably offensive to that community, especially <laughs> because he's not even a member of the community since he was, you know, with women. So yeah. Yeah. I don't, I was really having a hard time trying to understand like who, like he was supposed to be. <laughs> I was like, I was yeah, like what is this? I thought it was a cross between Prince. Yes, that crossed my mind too. 
and RuPaul or something. And RuPaul, yeah. <laughs> yes, I was literally thinking to myself yesterday, I was like, you know, I think maybe Prince was inspiration for this role. Mm-hmm. So one thing for me that I didn't care for was the over-sexualization of the women. I feel like <laughs> every time we saw a lady, she was half naked. So when uh, Lilu first became a person and she was in that um, sleeping chamber, the chamber, and they had the what should we call them? The wraps that were supposed to cover her body. And then mm-hmm. it like barely covered her body. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. even the ladies at the McDonald's, when the cops had went to the McDonald's um, in, in the fighting scene, I was just like, wow, this is so interesting because you kind of forget that that was so normal in that time period for like, if a woman showed up in a movie, she was just going to be naked. And that was just the norm. But you don't see that as much now. Because it was, like, unnecessary, really. Yeah, it was unnecessary. And you're right. The way they had Lilu in there with those bandages that barely covered anything, um, that was something. And then you're right, the, the stewardesses on the plane and Rudy Rod, what he, what he did with the ladies, you know. <laughs> yeah, that part would not fly over today very well. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and for me, I would have to say, and like I said, I don't know if it's because I'm more sensitive to like racial undertone, but the over mentioning of Lilu being this perfect element. Right. And, and we talked about that, um, you know, earlier in the show. Uh, I was just like every time they mention her, like, oh, she's perfect. She's perfect. And it's like looking at it now is like, you know, is that just like a play because they know this element is so powerful that is perfect. And like she literally learned English right away. She looked at she looked at a screen or listened to something for like 10 seconds and learned English right away. That's perfection. Uh, When they were on the ship on the way to Egypt, she well, I don't know if it was Google back then, but she searched those (laughs) images on what war was. And right away, she got a concept of what it was. So was it just like her smarts that made her perfection? Or was it her skin color, her eyes, her body shape, body size and everything when they were saying she's perfect? Is that what they were referring to? So it wasn't really clear what they meant. But like I said, I'm a lot more sensitive now mm. to like those undertones than I probably was in 1997. So. I would like to think that they were definitely referring to like her power, but it, I don't think it takes away from the fact that we could still visually see how she showed up. Mm-hmm. And so I think if it was remade today, that this is my assumption that if it was remade today, they would probably get someone that was racially ambiguous. So like we would have no clue or go avatar style and make her blue or something. Yeah. Right. And I think I'm kind of along the lines that they were focusing on her intellect and her power being that she was an alien because remember her chromosomes were like 60 times ours. Mm -hmm. She was the supreme being in that regard. Uh, she had human-like features, but she was a supreme being, and her intellect was there. But you're right. I think they would do uh, a racially ambiguous person in this day and age because, honestly, if you look at her, she looked more like a child than she did a, a woman. Very mm-hmm. true. Yeah. yeah. True. Mm-hmm. Very true. And a part of that, too, like especially at the beginning when she – was talking to him and it can only be like, help, please. <laughs> like all of those moments just made her feel more childlike. So I agree with that. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> help, so, please. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I was actually really surprised 
I'm honestly like so serious. I know that's just how movies are, but with him having one point left for his license, I was completely shocked that he actually like escaped the cops and really tried to help her. Cause it seemed like he was just like, look, this is not my problem. I don't even know who you are. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. But it was also interesting that he fell for her so quickly. It was like the day that he met her, he was like obsessed with her. But I guess she is the perfect being. Well, well, the, he remember he was playing the anti-hero, so he was trying to rescue her because of his military background. Remember, he was a special military guy, so he had this training. So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, forget the system. I'm going to do do what I can because I have this special skill set. And I think he was also very vulnerable because remember, yeah. his wife left him for his lawyer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah. You know? So he was probably vulnerable in that regard and just fell for her because, again, and also with the whole notion of the beauty that he saw in her, you mm-hmm. know, she kind of reached into his soul, I guess. Yeah, when he was talking to, I think it was his cab boss, and he was like, the perfect ride fell in, <laughs> about 5'9", blue eyes. I'm like, all right, Bruce Willis. <laughs> yeah, but I think he was just a little more vulnerable at that time as well. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. So to close us out, I would love to know what was your like absolute favorite scene in the movie? I think the scene in the whole on Floston Paradise with the opera singer um, mm-hmm. in the in the opera theater, that whole scene because how beautiful she sounded. Uh, as an opera singer and then they put that funky beat on there as well so it kind of got to groove into the music but it was also a theme with the music for the battle scene because that's Mm -hmm. where all the gunfire went and all the things like that as well so I think that was probably my my best scene because we weren't expecting that blue goddess as you as you might think in terms of being avatar-ish before avatar came out she yeah. was an alien, but she was also a beautiful alien as well. True. Yeah, that was definitely one of my uh, favorite scenes. And I think what, what made it impactful for me was the fact that, and I'll have to look this up to see if it's true, but there's probably somebody who was actually singing all of those notes. I mean, that's how opera singers are trained, right? And so that was, like, super impressive. Like, whoever played that character... And actually saying those notes, if they did, was impressive to me. And then um, another one of my favorite scenes was, what what's, what part was it? It was when Bruce Willis was, they were in a room and kind of like the captain of, like the chief of security uh, on the ship uh, when they were fighting the aliens. And Bruce Willis, he was like, let me take a peek and see what's going on in there. And he was like, it's like seven on the left and four on the right. And then uh, the guy, the leader of the alien said, I want to negotiate. And he was like, okay. And so Bruce Willis asked the guy, can I negotiate? And he went out and took out like three or four guys. He was like, all right, there's two on the left and two on the right. And um, then he took out the leader of their group. Like he had the knowledge of if you take the leader away, then the rest of them aren't going to fight. And I think that's a testament to how I feel like special ops um, soldiers are actually trained, right, to just be that brilliant, that smart, to be that quick to be able to count and assess the scene and see what's going on. So that was one of my favorite scenes. Mm-hmm. Cool. And I also like the fact that the bad guy, uh, uh, I forgot his name, the one who was trying to get the stones, 
that he got taken out by the very people that he uh, employed to do to get the stone. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Gary Oldman's character. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. When he got blown up, because there was a lot more movies still left after that too. So you don't usually see that. You always see this last battle scene in typical movies, but to take out the bad guy and then their their issue was trying to save Earth. So the bad guy was another alien coming after them. So I like that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would say my absolute best one would probably also be the one that Dr. King mentioned, um, the opera singing scene. But another scene that I really enjoyed, and it's the beginning of the movie, but I really liked the Bruce Willis escaping from the police fighting in the air scene just because <laughs> it was so futuristic. Like, it's really this concept of, like, all of this happening while you're just, like, hovering above <laughs> other cars. That was really cool to me. I was just, like, really intrigued and, like, my eye were glued to the television when that was on. Mm-hmm. So, Dr. King, I actually, I have another question for you about the beginning of the movie. And Dom and I were discussing this yesterday. Um, when Bruce Willis, at the start of the movie, they were showing that, um, the, the I guess, the... The president, right? That scene? Yeah, the scene with the president. And it looks like the meteor was getting ready to attack the Earth. And the, and the captain of one of the ships, he just, like, froze as he watched this ball of fire come towards their um, aircraft, was that actually a dream that Bruce Willis was having or was that reality? Like, did that actually happen? I think it was, it actually happened, but for some reason, that's the scene that he woke up on, but I think it actually happened and they didn't really connect it back to him anymore other than him waking up being startled from from his sleep. But it, it actually happened because it, Flipped into a uh, skull. Did you see what it flipped into a skull? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it was actually happening because that that's what the whole movie was about. It, it was still there and it, it was slowly creeping toward the earth. Uh, so that was, it was, it was in real time. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We were confused about that for a bit. We we're like, wait, so you just had this dream and okay. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Well, are, are there any other points you want to discuss? Well, I would not be surprised if one day they make the Fifth Element Part 2. It'll be a long time coming, but I think I think Bruce Willis could sell it because right now he's making a lot of straight-to-cable movies. <laughs> true, true. But I'd be uh-huh. interested in seeing an updated version of the Fifth Element because it's still, like I said, it still stands the test of time and it's visually appealing and the story moves along pretty well, so... I'd like to see it updated. I agree with that. I think it would be really cool to see it updated. So if there was an update, um, Dr. King, who would you want to see play Bruce Willis's character, Chris Tucker's character, and Lilo's character? Well, I would like to see um, probably the young man from um, Black Panther, uh, he died. Uh, uh, Michael B. Jordan. Michael B. Jordan. Yeah, I would like to yeah, see him. Do that. Oh, and, and he'd be Bruce Willis's character. Chris Tucker, uh, who's a young comedian type person. I'd have to get back to you on that one because there aren't many young ones. 
Hey, there's a popular one that kind of reminds everybody of Chris Tucker. His name is DC Young Fly. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, DC Young Fly. Wow, that would be good. He, he's got the same tone, intonations, and everything. Yes, that would be a good choice. And then I would go with, you know what, um, just for this younger generation, and she's now starring, or well, one of the characters in Fast and Furious 9, let's put Cardi B in there. What? As Lilo? As Lilo? Yes, let's put her in there. <laughs> I was saying, I was going to go more along the lines of, uh, is it Chloe from Chloe and Haley? The two sisters that sing? The uh-huh. one that's playing the mermaid? Uh, that Ooh. one is Haley, right? Yeah, yeah, I think Haley could do a good job in that. Um, mm-hmm. Wow, I'm trying to think of some other. Oh, I don't know if you watched the show um, Queen Sugar or not, but um, the lady that plays Darla on the show. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I've seen it. My wife watches it more than me. I don't know which one is Darla. Is she the one, The she has a child? Yes. yes. Yep. And she's married to, what's that guy's name? Ralph Angel. Ralph Angel, yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yep. I can see that. I think she could do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, but please, go ahead, Dominique. I was just going to say, I really love the DC Young Fly as Chris Tucker. I think that, that, that's fantastic. That'd be that's perfect the only thing casting. I can think of right now. That one would be amazing. Yeah, perfect casting there. But who would be the bad guy, the Gary Oldman's character? Mm. Yeah, that's tough. <laughs> I think going old school on this one, I think Wesley Snipes could do that character well. Yeah, yeah, he he could. And given that he's not doing anything with Blade anymore, let's let's give him a job. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, it was fun talking with you all. And awesome. Well, thanks for joining us. No problem. I like to relive that movie, so it was a great movie, and I'm looking forward to the sequel or the remake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, another point I want to bring up since you all are uh, are, are business people. McDonald's marketing was impeccable in this movie. <laughs> yes, all they had was their, their their symbol of the arches and how that it was blood red through when they were in the restaurant and when the people ordered it. Yes, so they'll be around for the future. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. exactly. For sure, they're basically saying like, "Look, we're not going anywhere. We don't care what year." <laughs> <laughs> Or that their food will last that long. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Dr. King. It was a pleasure having you on with us today. You're welcome and take care.